In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah, and she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy, and blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed, for he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name, and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. This is God's word. Father in heaven, thanks for the chance to be with these people of our church. I lift up those who are at home, and uh, thank you that they have the opportunity to tune in with us. Um, I lift up those who are uh, traveling and going to see family, maybe you're already with them now. I pray that that time would be, would be sweet, that they would have uh, deep connections with those people that they haven't seen in some time, and that you would minister to them. And for us, as we enter into your word, I pray that you would anchor us deeply in spiritual joy. And I pray that the words of my mouth, the meditations of our hearts would be pleasing in your eyes, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. So yeah, I, 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 spent, I spent the week in Flagstaff. So I was there um, with some pastors uh, from other parts of Arizona, and the majority of that time was free uh, free time for us to use, and some of you know I have been chipping away at a master's degree for approximately a decade, and by, by approximately I mean longer than a decade. And, uh, and so I, I thought I'd turned in my last assignment for my last class, and I've been in this program so long I forgot there was a thesis, a master's thesis, and so I turned in my last assignment, and then I got the email, and the guy very, you know, trying to be nice, was like, oh, did you already turn in your thesis? Because I said, hey, here's my last assignment. And I was like, no. So, uh, so there was this pastor's getaway thing that was offered to me, and I thought, I think this is my chance to go write my thesis. So that's, that's what I did. I, um, I sat in, in Flagstaff, and so that was, like, that was honestly my main objective. And some of you who talked to me about it, I, I was saying, honestly, that's my main objective to go there is to get my thesis done. But um, I ended up being pleasantly surprised by the depth of connection that did happen with these other pastors, because every morning uh, we had to sit together and just read some scripture, and then each one of us had a, a chance to share. And a major theme that stood out to me, um, and these, these guys, these were pastors who were dedicated and captured um, by the goodness of God and the beauty of the gospel, but every single one of them, um, when they told their stories, they were full of pain and trial and loss, and rejection. Um, like deep, deep stuff. And 
And it brings up the question of how can these two things coexist? I mean, as I think about, you know, the ex-evangelical movement or whatever, I was looking at these guys and going, you should be ex-evangelicals. Like, you have all the evidence um, that life is hard. And you might be thinking, well, that's probably their past life. They had, you know, they were like crazy gang members or something, and then they got converted. No, 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 no. I'm talking about, like, some of it was this, like, back in their, back in their past, and some of it was really recent. Because um, some of the stuff, you know, things that we've been through here at the church, they, they had some of the, I mean, these guys are talking about close friends, key members of the church that have left, missing 30 to 40% of the people in their churches. And there was one guy who was like, my church has been pretty stable. I haven't had that happening. But then he's like, but I've been diagnosed with a disease and I'll die very young. And my whole family, we've just had to talk about how that's, that's just the reality. Like, I will, I will die in the next 10 years, basically. So you're like, oh, right? I mean, this is not, these aren't people with rose-colored glasses on, right? But still, there's laughter and joy. And especially when we read the words of Jesus, John 14 to 17 is what we read together, kind of the intimate words of Jesus. You could see excitement in their, in their eyes and lighting up at kind of what Jesus had said, wanting to understand it more. And then in their stories, seeing this prof- these profound ways that God had delivered them or brought them, th- brought them through and was still bringing them through. And as I said, painful stories. There were, there were tears. One of the guys, he said, I've never, I've never told this to anybody but my wife. And he just wept as he talked. But it was like tears of joy because he'd been brought through so many things. So there, I think these pastors, to me, I, I realized I didn't have as much time to write a sermon because I was writing a thesis, but I got taught about the topic all week, uh, which is really a beautiful thing. And the topic is spiritual joy. And spiritual joy, I'm going to say, is joy in God, and it's not just being sentimental. It's joy in God, not just being sentimental. So this, uh, this thing that Tabitha has read to us is called the Song of Mary, it's it's written out like a psalm, almost like an Old Testament psalm. And so it's, it's kind of the first Christmas song. And a lot of people do sing a version of it at Christmas. And, and I don't know about you, but I, am, I'm not, I struggle with Christmas music. And I know that that's a good way to lose friends, um, it's just to tell you that. But to be honest, I, I struggle with it. My, fr- my favorite Christmas album is, uh, is called, let's see, what's it called? It's by Listener and Dust. Listener is an old kind of... Uh, yeah, Seth, thank you. Um, he, he's a, he started out as a rapper, now, now maybe not so much, more, more poet. Um, listener's not a, not a happy, happy rapper, no. And, uh, and so he, he deals in the, in the dark themes, and so there's a, there are songs on this Christmas album where it's like, there's like laughter in the background that's like, and stuff. And um, it's my favorite Christmas album, I, I kid you not. I like it so much because um, it's like there's jingle bells, but they sound creepy. <laughs> and I don't know, that's me. So just now that you know. But here's one of the things I think I've struggled with with Christmas music is how just sentimental it can be. And I've seen, I've seen in my own life, like it just doesn't match up with my real experience. I think the listener album does, <laughs> where it's like jingle bells, <laughs> you know, like, ah, Christmas is complicated. But... 
Yeah. But, but think about this. Like, Andy Williams, it's the most wonderful time of the year. Okay, I'm just going to indulge us in this for a second. Holiday greetings and gay happy meetings. What, what is the... Come on. We know what those are, right? Let, let's just pick that little sentence apart. Holiday greetings. What does that mean? You got to write hundreds of cards. Today, you got to go hire a professional photographer. You got to get these things printed. You got to come up with a design nobody else comes up with. And then you've got to build your mailing list and you got to update your mailing list, right? You got to get all those people that you've kind of met and you're always trying to figure out what's the threshold. When do I offend somebody if they don't get my, my, my card in the mail? That holiday greetings, it's a lot of work, right? And the, and the meetings, um, you know, Christmas parties, <laughs> meetings. Christmas parties in, the, in and of themselves, you know, here, we know what that is. It's, you gotta, do I go to all the Christmas parties? Because, you know, depending on your circles, there's like one every weekend or two. And then, you know, the ugly sweater party, that's fun unless you have to go find one. And we all know the, the thrift stores are out. And so you've you got you to gotta make one now. And um, it's, this, it's not just all sentimental. Like, even this stuff doesn't, it doesn't go so well, right? And and you got to get the white elephant gift. And some of you love to get the white elephant gift, but then, you know, sometimes you're like, I'm just going to go to the dollar store and buy whatever. And then the song says, there'll be much mistletoeing and hearts will be glowing when loved ones are near. And, you know, I mean, for some of us, let's, let's be real. Like, sometimes that means you got to navigate, you know, you got mom and dad, but they're not married anymore, right? And you got to navigate this. And like, so who do I spend time with on what day? Um, and we, we know the holidays are harder for those with painful stories, they, and sometimes just almost unbearably hard. And then uh, on my way home, I was listening to a podcast of Russell Moore and Beth Moore talking about their experience with the Southern Baptists, and they, the question came up, and it's the que- I've heard this over and over again, and especially going into the holidays, people are starting to ask the question, and they, and they said, what do I do with my family members who are going to disagree with me politically and, and Russell and Beth Moore gave some answers to that. And then the, the moderator, he said, hey, can I ask a follow-up question? And they said, oh, sure. And he said, so thank you for saying that, but, but what about the ones that won't stop talking about it? And, and he was like, oh, you know, Russell Moore's like, oh, right. And, and, it's, and it was like, well, you might just have to say, like, please, please leave me alone, right? I mean... Loved ones coming near can be beautiful, but it can also be really complicated. And I think that's the, maybe that's the trouble I have with the sentiment is, part of it is if you get yourself too sentimental and then you go and have that real Christmas or that real Thanksgiving, it kind of, it kind of doesn't match up, right? And it can be kind of a letdown. Now, I should say, this is a very negative joy sermon already, and um I recognize this. I just want to tell you all, thank you for your Christmas cards. I love them. Um, I really do. Your photos are beautiful. I love your families, and I really like seeing them all. And if you don't send me one, it's fine. I'm, I'm okay. But it's not that I don't want one, okay? It's just um, all that. And by the way, like Christmas parties and meetings, I mean, you all, many of you know that the Littleton family, we're still the grand champions of the Ugly Sweater Contest. I mean, I think no one has really come close. And so we've done that. We'll do that again. I'm not beating up on any, but I'm just saying it's not as simple as the sentiment, right? And Mary's song is not sentimental. That's, that's I think, one of the most beautiful things about it. It's filled with joy, but it's not sentimental. 
Today we're focusing on just the two, the, the first lines of her song where she says, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. But we're going to plow into this more. The next verse is about her humble estate. And, and when you read into the story of Mary and Joseph, there's not a whole lot of details, but they bring the two turtle doves to the temple. And what that means is they're in the poorest category of people bringing offerings to the temple. These are people who, they, they, don't, they don't live with much. These are people who, at, at least at this, at this point, were externally humble. Um, these were people who were poor. And on top of that, as we talked about last week, Mary is now pregnant and unmarried. And so she's, she's, in a, she's young, um, she is poor, and she is in kind of a, a complicated situation. And then she goes on to declare that, that God brings down the mighty, sends the rich away empty, uh, we're going to dig into all that. There's a lot in there. Um, and she recounts the hope that God has given to Israel. And that whole story isn't sentimental because, like, read the Bible, right? I mean, it's not. We've, we've studied the book of Judges in our small group. There's not one ounce of sentiment in that entire book. It's all rough. Um, so she's telling that story. And just like those pastors that I was with, Mary isn't sentimental, but she is filled with, with joy, and her soul magnifies the Lord. How do these two things coexist? Because that is life. That's the calling of the Christian life. It's, it's not sentimentality. And you, we, we don't come in here and just like go, ha, ah, everything's perfect out there. We don't. We can't. It's not how it is. So Mary says, my soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. So that begs the question, what's it mean? What does it mean to magnify the Lord? When she says that, what does that mean? And how do we cultivate hearts that rejoice in God, our Savior? I'm going to start with magnify the Lord. Simply, what, what it means to magnify the Lord is to glorify God. Um, but I love, just for a second, the English word magnify, because I think there is something in there. Just if you Google it, vocabulary.com, to make something bigger, either in size or significance. And I think there's, there's something to that, even that English word. Um, and how do you tend to do that? How do you magnify something? Well, if you're talking about like a magnifying glass, right, you make something bigger by magnifying it. And the reason that you magnify it is to draw more attention to its details, right? That's, that's what you do. You're looking at its details, and then when something is extraordinarily good, you bring the attention of others to it. Um, I probably have no chance because Ray's not even there. And I forgot to talk to him about the slide. Do you have it, Ray? Yeah. Okay. Look at this. There was, this is from last year's... Um, I picked this one, by the way, because this is a damselfly, and it rhymes with magnify. So I thought maybe you'd remember it. There's a contest of like zoomed in photography. And this is one of the winners. It came from Croatia. This is like a tiny little fly. And what do you do when you zoom in? You want to see the incredible detail. And when you see something really incredible, you kind of want to say, look at this thing. Like, it's on brick. I understand. But like, <laughs> what is that? That looks like, like a monkey with two giant like filters on the side of its head and unicorn horns. It's, it's ridiculous. It has a beard. <laughs> That's amazing. What in the world? That's a damselfly. 
Um, and so when you, that's all, that's all with the damselfly. The point is when you see something incredible and you look really closely at it and you're amazed, that's when you th- then say to somebody else, like, you've got to see this. And that's the idea behind glorification, glorifying, magnifying the Lord. So then you start to say, like David says in Psalm, Psalm 34, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. Like you say, when you look at who God is and you look at the details and you look deep and close, you become changed and you start saying to other people, you have to see this. That's essentially what it means. Um, To magnify the Lord is to focus in on who God is and go beyond the abstractions about God to looking at the details of who he is and what he has done. And here's what happens within the human heart is the more that you do this, the more you look, your heart only has so much space. Your heart only has so much space. And when you focus in and look on at God and who he is and gaze deeply, there is less room for anything else that can poison your soul. There's just, it gets crowded out. Interestingly, if you're thinking, if you're somebody who goes like, what are my issues? What are my idols? Probably the best chance you have of working that out would be to magnify the Lord and start looking for what's been crowded out. What is there no more? What has become secondary? What has fallen off? That was, that was the thing. Those were the idols. You won't have time for them. You won't have space for them anymore. To magnify the Lord is to allow the only one who can satisfy your soul to have the space in your heart that only God can satisfy. And then the result is that you will sing for joy. This is the idea behind what, what we call the accidental Christmas carol, Joy to the World. Did you know that? It wasn't, they didn't mean for it to be a Christmas carol. Um, Isaac Watts was writing songs based on the Psalms, and he wrote a bunch of them, and many of them have been lost. Um, and this one is from the second half of Psalm 98. And so Psalm 98 says this, Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth into joyous song and sing praises. Sing praises to the Lord with the lyre, with the lyre and the sound of melody, with trumpets and the sound of the horn. Make a joyful noise before the King, the Lord. Let the sea roar and all that fills it, the world and those who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the hills sing for joy together before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the earth with righteousness and the people with equity. And Watts was trying to simplify that, and he would repeat portions of it that he wanted us to remember. And somehow it became attached to Christmas. It, when, you, when you listen to it, it really doesn't say anything about Christmas. Um, it just says, joy to the world. The Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. And then here's the, the line that really relates. Let every heart prepare him room, and heaven and nature sing. Joy to the world, the Savior reigns. Let men their songs employ. White fields and floods, rocks, hills, and plains repeat the sounding joy. He rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness and the wonders of his love, which Watts was saying is what happens when he comes to judge. So what was he trying to teach us, Isaac Watts? The heavens and the earth already magnify the Lord. I mean, that's what 
That's what we experience when we go outside, right? When we look at beautiful things, like I was in Flagstaff, you know, it's not hard to like just see these beautiful sights on the drive or you just go out for a walk um, and you see these incredible, beautiful things and they're exhibits of things like beauty and power and creativity and genius, like that crazy fly. I mean, who made that guy? And, and justice, you see, and grace. You see gifts that are undeserved. Um, when we receive our king, when our heart prepares room for him, then we experience the joy that the earth is screaming to us about all the time. And this, of course, is not dependent on our circumstances, which is to say it's not sentimental. Because a a cursory glance, um, I did just, honestly, this was the short study of this idea of glorify the Lord. Jared read another psalm that mentioned it to us in prayer. The, The word extol, you might see that in the Bible. So magnify, glorify, extol, it's all the same idea. And if you just do a little study of it, you're gonna see that, this true spiritual joy anchors us in any situation because sometimes it follows times of deep pain and deep trial. Some examples are Psalm 34 that I referenced to you where David said, you know, exalt, let's, let us exalt his name together. When did he say that? Now, if, you, if you look, it even tells you in your Bible, it gives you a little thing. Um, it's when he changed his behavior before King Abimelech. Okay, that's, you're like, oh, he changed his behavior. No, here's, the, here's what was happening. David is being pursued by the king, who is the current king, who he has been prophesied he's going to be the king. So he's the, he's the soon-to-be king, and the current king, Saul, is trying to kill him. And David is running for his life, and he's going into another city, and that city, the king there, has heard from King Saul that he should kill David, and David finds out about this. So David is running in the wilderness, trying to get to a city where, and then he hears that when you're there, that king's going to kill you. So he's like, so I'm being pursued by a king who's going to kill me. I'm headed to a place where the king is going to kill me. So what he did, he ran up to the city, did a bunch of sloshing in his mouth, and drooled all over his own beard and his clothing. And he just sat there and looked like an absolute moron. And the king Abimelech of that city looked at him and said, how could you ever be scared of this idiot? I mean, that's, that's my translation, but it's pretty close. And he was like, get him out of here. He's disgusting. And send him away. And David writes, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise will continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from my fears. Those who look to him are radiant, and their faces will never be ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. How do those two go together? Right? Now, think about how differently that situation could have been interpreted. Right? Think about it. Um, how easily could David have, got, you know, he, he drools all over himself, gets kicked out of the city. He's still on the run. He could have sat down and said, God, I cried out to you. Where were you? I had to do this crazy drool thing all by myself and come up with that. You didn't save me. I saved me. Where were you? You didn't do anything. 
That, that very easily could have been the interpretation of that event, right? But instead, David gets done with that, and he says, God, basically, that was an awesome idea you had about the drooling. That was you. Your angel was surrounding me when that king kicked me out to be on the run for my life again. And I'm going to tell everybody that you are incredible from here on out. What would we do in that event? What's, what's the difference? Psalm 69 is another example. David goes on and on about his trials. Psalm 69 was like the beginning of this sermon. It was so negative, right? It's not sentimental. It's, he says, I am weary my, with my eyes, or sorry, I am weary with crying out to you, God. My throat is parched. My eyes grow dim, awaiting to hear from God. This is like, he's like accusing God of not listening, basically. More in number than the hairs of my head are those who hate me without cause. Mighty are those who would destroy me and attack me with lies. This is how David starts his song for the people of God, by the way, which I've been telling Mike, we got to write more of these because they're gnarly and they could be, we might really relate. But then, and then the psalm is long. He goes on and cries out over and over for help and salvation But then he says, I am afflicted and in pain. Let your salvation, O God, set me on high, and I will praise the name of God with a song. I will magnify the Lord with thanksgiving. This will please the Lord more than any offering or an ox or bull. When the humble see it, they will be glad. You who seek God, let your hearts revive. For the Lord hears the needy and does not despise his own people who are prisoners Let heaven and earth praise him, the seas and everything that moves in them. David tends to do this thing where he like, he looks at his trouble. He looks at who God is. He looks at the earth and he starts talking about whales and stuff. Like the seas and the creatures and the seas and the, he starts talking about the earth and creation. And it's like he gets out of his pain. And get this, in Psalm 69, David hasn't even been delivered yet. He just believes he's going to be and that that deliverance won't be just for him, but that the humble will hear it and will be glad. And the humble are people like Mary, the mother of Jesus, who knew these songs by heart at age 14. Those who magnify the Lord, you see, aren't just those who are doing well or who've received what they've hoped for. Those who magnify the Lord are those who look to God no matter what is happening. And then God for them eclipses the hopelessness of their situation and takes up all the room in their hearts. And they sing. So how do we cultivate joyful hearts? Mary and David, I think, show us how. Mary again sang, My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. I see two things in that. You magnify the Lord when you look at who God is. You magnify him. Look at him, every detail of who he is. And then your spirit rejoices when you see that God is your Savior. When you see it in history, in your life, in his promises, in the earth, and we're going to spend more time on this throughout the, throughout the holiday season, but Mary's song is steeped in the story of God's people. 
It's almost, Mary's song is almost as if she took 1 Samuel 2 when a woman named Hannah had a son named Samuel who would then anoint King Saul but would eventually anoint King David. It's almost like Mary knew her song so well that she just adapted it in about 10 seconds and made it about Jesus. I mean, she almost quotes portions of 1 Samuel 2. And Samuel, like I said, would anoint King David, the ancestor of Mary and Joseph, and he foresaw a future Savior. And Mary knew that story. She knew the story so well that when she burst out in her song, she sang Hannah's song. You see that? Like when she burst out in her song, she burst out in the song of God's people. When she burst out in her song, she started speaking scripture is what happened. Mary had spiritual joy because God was bringing the Savior into the world through her and she knew the story. She knew what that meant. But remember, she still hasn't witnessed anything. She is still poor, unmarried, and pregnant. But she's experiencing this deep joy that's anchored in who God is and in the story of his people, and the realization that she was a part of that. Here's the question. If you, break, if you broke into song, if you were just to sing about what's going on in your soul, what would you sing? If someone asked you to give a, an answer to the hope that they see in you, what would you say? What would burst forth naturally What would your heart have meditated on so much that it would just come out? You cultivate spiritual joy when you magnify the Lord in your heart and mind. I don't have your recipe for that. I don't know, you know, your exact version of that. I don't know that that's the most helpful thing. But I know we're supposed to magnify the Lord. And not supposed to, like, if you don't, you're not going to. I'm telling you, you want to experience spiritual joy, you have to look at who God is. And that leads to magnifying the Lord to the world, to saying, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together and rejoicing in God's salvation. That was the greatest gift of the time with these pastors that I got. I, like I said, we, we heard, I mean, they, there was pain. There was all the stuff that was like those Psalms where you're going, how are you even a Christian? I mean, these people, some of these guys, they were hurt by the church from the day they were born. Like, how are you still here? But you know what it was? The, the, the deal was that somehow in that, that they had seen past all the brokenness, past all the weirdness, and they'd seen Jesus in the center of it and the excellencies of who he is and what the gospel says. And then they saw their stories of, like, of and with Jesus and realized God has been faithful. That is what they were so happy about. And they wanted to share it. One of the, one of the coolest stories was a, a pastor I really love. And he, he had been, I mean, damaged, damaged by his parents and by people in the church. And this dude is on, he's in the twilight of his pastoral career. And recently, his mom and dad, not together, started coming to church for probably the first time in their life, to his church. And then guess who shows up? The minister of the church that wrecked him starts coming to his church and told him, I think this is the first time I've ever gotten to know God before. And he got, and, you know, doesn't get to be angry at him anymore 
but gets, gets to see God's at work even in him. I mean, that, that is beautiful. The saddest thing among them was the theme that they hadn't talked about this to many people. I think that's the part that made me sad. And, and, and you, you know why? Because there was pain in those stories. There was heartache in those stories. It's not very motivating, right? Like getting up in front of people and telling them this, like, well, I was almost done with the church about 50 times, you know. It's not really motivating. <laughs> Except, well, I think it is. Because that's the kind of stuff we've dealt with. That's the kind of stuff that people you know. We're at a party with Michaela's coworkers. That's what people have dealt with. And they need to hear stories of how God has shown as faithful and better than even all the brokenness. There, were, there was confession of, the, of sins in those stories. That's the stuff we're most scared to do. Like, I think we are most scared to like tell people, like, this is me, really, actually. But if we don't, people, if they, all they get is a sentimental story. And sentimental stories don't have power. The powerful stories are the ones that acknowledge the real truth, the brokenness in our stories and the brokenness in our lives, and then the amazing, incredible grace of God and how he carries us through and, and forgives us and redeems us, right? The powerful stories point to a saving power, to a child who was born, the king of heaven who came to earth to save sinners and redeem what the enemy has stolen. And there's no telling that story with only sentiment. So I guess what I'm trying to say is I think we need to tell our stories to people. Um, and, and I'm encouraging you. I was taught back in the day to like tell people your testimony, and that was the thing that God fixed. Um, I, I don't know that that's exactly right. I think it's putting hope in God that he will complete the work that he started. Not just he's already fixed it. I think we need to tell each other our stories. I think as, as I experienced with those pastors, I came away with my soul lifted to Christ, to the word, because they told the truth. And they hoped in God and they allowed that story to be told. I would encourage you as you go out into this kind of, into this holiday season that can be kind of a mixed bag, but I'm telling you, people are thinking about God out there. The songs are like giving them little, little hits. The news is awakening them. But I've seen, I'm, t- I'm telling you, I was sitting in Fire Creek Coffee in Flagstaff and a heavy metal song came on and all I heard over and over again was, Jesus the Christ, Jesus the Christ. And I was like, what is happening right now? <laughs> Seriously. And I'm just like working on my thesis. I'm going, why is Jesus literally in every room and why is he being yelled about right now? But I Googled this song this song was about abuse in the church, is what it was about. And, but even in that song, the writer of that song was like, you cannot hide your evil deeds from God and go cry out for forgiveness from Jesus the Christ. That was like essentially what the song was saying. But what do you hear in that? Somebody who believes in the justice of God. That's what I heard. I was like, this person's still saying, you can't hide from God. Like, Huh? That's encouraging. People are thinking about God, even when they see the negative stuff in the news, even when they, when they hear the Christmas songs, as they reflect on their own lives, or like this guy that we met at the party the other day who just said, I just haven't thought about this for a long time, but now that you brought it up, I think I need to. So tell your stories. 
I'm lost now. Yeah. Um, with those guys, we read the book. We were reading the book of John. We were reading the intimate moments of Jesus. And Jesus said, right, in these intimate moments in John 14 to 17, he said a lot of things. He, he talked about how he was leaving and he was preparing them uh, for all these things. But one of the things he told them is he said, look, um, you're going to be sorrowful and the whole world's going to be excited. And he's, of course, he's talking about when he's crucified. He's like, you're going to be sorrowful. Everybody else is going to think that a worthless, um, pointless, dead revolutionary is off the planet. And they're going to think they've won. But your sorrow is going to be turned into joy. But then he says, you're going to be persecuted and hated because of me. And you're going to have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Even, even Jesus is saying, look, you're going to have trouble, but there's hope. And he anchors that in three things. The same things that I think we're, we're seeing in this, in this song of Mary. He points us to our past salvation. He shows us that he's with us now. And he, look, he points us to the future. And that's what this table is about. Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it, right? He said, this is my body broken for you. And they're, they're there, they're celebrating this ancient feast. And what are they remembering? They're remembering the exodus. They're remembering the days when God's people had, they were enslaved. They had lost all hope. And that God came in with, with might and power and he redeemed them and he saved them. That's what, that's what they were looking at. That's the, when they're taking this bread, they were remembering when they were about to flee Egypt. And Jesus is like, he's not pushing past that. They're celebrating that story together. But then he says, now this bread is, it's me. This is my body now. I'm with you. And he anchors them in this hope in what's about to happen. They're about to see him die on a cross. And Jesus says to them when he takes the, the cup, he says, this is my blood poured out for the forgiveness of many. And what he wants them to see is when you see my blood poured out, I want you to see like, this is for a reason. This is, this is for you and for your salvation. And he tells them that they're going to, that they can take heart because he is going to overcome the world. And when Paul, when he teaches us how to take the Lord's Supper, he magnifies the Lord in this. He tells us that every time that we eat this bread and we drink this cup, we declare something. And we declare, what we declare is the return of Jesus Christ. He's coming back. And that's an incredible thing to believe. But look, we have this legacy. We have this story. And, and if the story's true, it's not over. And this story includes promises like Genesis 3.15 that we talked about last week that a, a child would be born and would crush the head of the serpent. That story includes powerful moments like the Exodus where God's people felt they had no hope and they were brought out. It includes promises and stories like Hannah who prayed for her son um, and for God to do his will through him and her son grows up to be great and to anoint the great kings. It's the story of David whose ancestor would, would be the king who would never leave the throne. It's the story of Jesus, the baby, the king who is born into the world, who suffers and dies unjustly and is raised from the dead. And it's proclaiming to us the story isn't over. And someday he's going to wipe every tear from our eye 
and he's going to return, and he's going to restore things back to the way they were supposed to be. So that's the call to the table this evening, is to spiritual joy. Not sentimentalism, it's a cross. It's broken body, it's bloodshed, but it's true, and it's good, and it's filled with hope. We're going to do three things now. Uh, Jason's going to lead us in some songs. Um, So we have a chance to speak this out. And I know we always say things like, you know, to be honest to God, but, but today I might push you just a little bit to like be honest, but to even like affirm your hope as you sing. Don't anchor in your feelings about who God is. Anchor in the truth of his word. We're going to take the Lord's Supper together and I'll, I'll serve it to you up here in the front. And as you do that, remember the layers of meaning this has and what it's saying to you. We have giving in the back, and the point of this is to just participate in his mission. And we want to just invite you to worship him with all of your heart, all all of your mind, and all of your strength. So before that, we spend a moment in confession. And I'm going to pray us into that. And the, the time here, I mean, what we've been talking about things like how we need to make room in our hearts, how he should crowd out everything. Look, if you're thinking to yourself, you know, I don't do that enough. You're not alone. You're, you're with all of us. None of us have given him the room that he deserves. So let's just take a moment here and give him more and ask him to help us give him more and more room in our hearts. So I'll pray and leave two minutes of silence and then Jason will lead us out with a song. Father in heaven, thank you for the chance to be with your people Thank you that the idea of your people is not new, that we have the, the scriptures to look to. We have amazing uh, kings who are, who are powerful and great, who we can look to to see your faithfulness. We have humble um, 14-year-old girls like Mary who just hid your word in their heart. And then when you kept your promise, they could just sing of your faithfulness. Lord, help us to anchor into this story, into the truth of it. Help us to put our hope in you as these saints did and help us to do it especially because of your grace and your cross where you have made our forgiveness possible in all the ways that we fall short. You've wiped away and you've given us grace upon grace. So when we approach you, God, hear our prayers, forgive us of our sins, and give us joy in Jesus' name.